are the Knicks the best team in the NBA? Like, like, okay, but seriously, like, top five? Like, you can make, you can make the argument. You could make the argument. They are, they are actually fourth in the NBA net rating. Just 0.1 behind third place. I, could, I think you can make an argument the Knicks are top five in the NBA. Um, why can't they be? Why can't they be? Like, there's zero reason for anybody to think the Knicks couldn't be a top five team currently in the NBA. You can disagree, but to act like it's a crazy thought, I don't think you can do that. I think this team's legit. Um, we'll talk about what legit means. But I think they are. I this this is this is the best run. I've. Let's get into it. Episode six twenty. We'll touch on all of it. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host R.J. Carbone. You are listening to BD Four, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. We also do MMA, Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. Let's get to it. Anthony for three. Like, seriously, man, I, I can't express in the words. The Knicks are currently the number three seed in the East. I don't remember if I've ever said that word. Were they even at one point in the 2013 season number three? But they're number three in the East. With their win last night, with the Golden State win over Philly, the Knicks are now number three because they keep winning because they went 14 and two in January because they're on an eight game win streak because they are 31 and 17 on the season, which is a 53 win pace. But if you talk about the 14 and two since the trade, that's a pace of like, I want to say the upper sixties. I'm not, but like, it's, it's a fun time to be a Knicks fan. It's a very fun time to be a fan of this basketball team. And anybody missing out, I'm sorry. I'm sure there are a lot of people hopping in from the bandwagon. Listen, I wasn't... So I became... I don't like to share this story a ton on the show. But as a younger child, I was a big basketball fan. Um, I live in Jersey. Okay, and as a child, I'm 28 now, there was a Jersey basketball team. Still is. Um, and we happened to live close to 
the arenas where that Jersey basketball team that we won't mention played. And my father took me to a lot and my siblings to a lot of their games. Um, I would not go as far as to call myself a diehard fanatic of them when I was younger, but I went to a lot of their games. I, I had some jerseys, but I also had jerseys of plenty other players and other teams. Um, and then for a while, I stopped watching basketball. I wasn't really into it as much. Come 2012, February of 2012, my family and I took a trip to New York City. And this is actually perfect timing to bring this up because we're hitting the anniversary. My family and I took a, uh, took a trip to New York. Uh, I forget what, where it was. We went skiing. Just so we... we Took a vacation, a winter vacation to some skiing resort, February 2012. Uh, I want to say that it was called Ashwood, New York or something. I it, it started with an A. And it was a ski resort, and we went to a restaurant one night. And on the restaurant, in the restaurant, they were playing the Knicks game on TV in, like, the game room. There was a pool table we were hanging out at by a bar, and the Knicks game was playing. And this happened to be sometime during Lynn's Sanity. It was one of those games. It was Knicks-Lakers, and Jeremy Lin was having one of his games. So I think it was like the very beginning of it. And I caught my attention, and I I was like, wow, this is fun. So I watched, I watched some of the game. We go back to our place, watch the game at the hotel or the, wherever we stayed when we got back in the room, watching the Knicks. And like ever since then, I kept track. I wasn't watching every night, but I was keeping track and keeping track. And then the very next season was the 2012-2013 season. That was the Knicks tape season. And I remember watching every single game that year. And since then, I've not stopped. I was intrigued with Carmelo Anthony. I bought his sneakers and everything, which I still have. A couple pairs of the M8s and the M1.5s. Um, and Carmelo was my favorite player from there. I became a diehard Knicks fan from that year. So I always say, whenever I bring up this story, that Linsanity drew me in, Mellow kept me around. But that was the, like, you can't call me a bandwagon fan because I stuck around after that. Because if you're a Knicks fan, you know that after that 2012 season, it was hell. You know? Phil Jackson came in, started getting rid of all the pieces that made him that made them good. They were bad from the 2013-14 year all the way up until Tom Thibodeau was hired. The Knicks were a bad, 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 terrible basketball team. And I stuck around and I watched every game. I stuck around for those Ron Baker years, the Lou Amundsen, Samuel Dallenberry years, the Travis Ware years. And I stuck with them, and I and I talked myself into, well, maybe this player will be good. Well, maybe Shane Larkin will be the next point guard. And now I'm here. So this is definitely the best New York Knicks team I've witnessed. I think they're greater than that 2013 team. 2012-2013 team. And I'm sure Knicks fans who've actually been a Knicks fans since beginning of time for them, like, we'll probably tell you this is the best Knicks team maybe since 1999. It's, this team's legit. 
their effort level and their physicality on every single defensive stand reminds many of us of those 90s Knicks. Every time this team seems to face adversity, they answer the bell. Whether it's losing games or players, they make you forget all about it. Mitchell Robinson, gone. How many people thought the ceiling lowered after that? Me. Isaiah Hartenstein's playing banged up. He's on a minutes limit. Quentin Grimes is banged up. Randall's down a while. OG Ananobi's down. I don't think any of us are actually stressed and nervous at the moment. I think a lot of us are like, yeah, we'll figure it out because that's what we do. Because these guys pick it up every single time. So I guess you got to credit Leon Rose for acquiring a bunch of winners. Not just the players, but his first move was bringing in Tom Thibodeau to build this winning culture. Get a winner in there. Get a coach who cares about literally nothing else but winning. Sometimes to a fault, right? Then he targets guys that fit the Tom Thibodeau mold. Guys who Tibbs is familiar with. D. Rose. He got Derrick Rose in here during the trade deadline, 2020-21 season. And Derrick Rose brings an under 500 team to a team that makes the postseason. And he was their best player in that Atlanta series. He's bringing in all these guys after that. Defensive guys, guys who hustle, fly around, make winning plays. Nova alumni, right? J. Wright products. Dante DiVincenzo is one of them. Liam Rose paid him mid-level exception money. And he comes here, and he's playing like prime Clay Thompson. I saw a stat on Dante DiVincenzo on Twitter today. An unbelievable stat. Um... I don't have it in front of me, but it was it listed the top 10 players in three-pointers made this season, and it was a bunch of guys making 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 million dollars in salary, and then it was Dante DiVincenzo there at 11 million dollars. So when you talk about value contracts, Brunson's making what? 20% of the cap, and he's probably going to be the last Nick to wear number 11. Josh Hart comes here mid-season last year. The Knicks don't lose with him. And an underrated aspect of these guys all being together, the Nova crew, is obviously their chemistry on the floor since they're, they've played together their whole you know, adult lives. And it's off the court too. The banter that these guys have, they're just joking on each other every game. The locker room it seems to be a very tight-knit group that, that, that Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau have assembled. These guys all love each other. Look at the reaction, the emotional reactions to the quickly deal. Like, these guys love each other, man. Ask anybody in media around the Knicks, they will tell you the same thing. Watch this scene. You can see the body language. Do you watch the post-game interviews? I mean, they got chemistry. And you don't have to worry about losing a guy like Quickly and R.J. Barrett, homegrown fan favorites, because he brings in O.G. Ananobi. And even though he knew, Leon, that it'd give immediate backlash right away, he does it. 
because he knows it's going to work. And how's that worked so far? Where well, again, they've been fourteen and two since that deal happened. Twelve and two with him on the floor. A lot of guys are just like, how about the reserves? Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride. Big months of January from them. They were essentials to the Knicks going and winning 14 of 16. The shot making, the defense at the point of attack, the screen navigation from those guys. Just the effort level. How about all these big men? All these big men. I'm glad it's starting to pick up some more steam and, and, and get a little louder. But, you know, it's something we've talked about. Give Tom Thibodeau a center who is willing to learn and buy into the system, and he will make him a serviceable rotational big. How many guys over the years have has Tom Thibodeau done this with? You know? I mean, you, you could go go back to the Chicago days. Lou Dang, Joakim Noah. Brings in Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson. Most recently... Precious Achua, even Jericho Sims a little bit stepping up. Give Tom Thibodeau a big man. He will teach you how to play drop coverage. Teach you how to rotate effectively. How to screen effectively and roll effectively. How to protect the basket. Teach you how to rebound the basketball. That big is going to be a rotation big. Just let Tom Thibodeau develop him. Kill that narrative. So this... this Leon Roche, Tom Thibodeau regime, and you got to credit the other guys, World Wide West, Brock Oller, etc. It's got to credit them. And yeah, it's a regime, it's a regime that you, know, you may have some qualms with what they've done here and there, but you cannot be legitimately pissed off and upset at anything they've done together. They came to a team that was losing 50 to 60 games a season. And they assembled a team that's now turned into legitimate contenders. Full of young players. They've got assets and draft capital. Guys on good contracts. And they go after these CAA clients, which is very smart. If you're trying to stay under a cap and not pay these certain taxes and go over all these aprons. They've done a real damn solid job. Getting a coach like Tom Thibodeau, who could very well now be in the running for his second coach of the year in just four seasons with the Knicks, unless, you know, maybe J.B. Bickerstaff has a case to take it. But the fact that he's in the running, like, it's unbelievable to me how the Twitter people and the angry internet minions still don't like him, some of them. Like, I still feel like it's 50-50, which I, I cannot fathom. I think it's because he's he's like the exact type of old school coach that's a hard ass and players on the surface may not love it, but they grow to love it as they play underneath him. They start falling in love with that. Right. So I, I would understand why like Gen Z and, you know, the participation kids don't like that stuff because they don't like getting yelled at. They don't like the tough love thing. They don't really like winning. So I get it. If you're like a younger fan who doesn't like him, I get why you don't mesh with that style because you didn't grow up around a competitive structure. But this is the perfect coach for a group of young players, for a team that's trying to get back to the top. And I cannot wait until he's extended, and I I believe he will. 
And that's just going to trigger that exact group of minions to go back into their little holes and their little safe spaces. Because I'm a big Tom Thibodeau fan. And I've, I used to, after the 2020-21 season, I was anti-Tibbs. Kind of towards the end there. I was for a while. You go back and watch these episodes. I, I was doing a podcast during that, and I many episodes I would hammer him. But as we've grown, <laughs> I've learned to <laughs> do a 180. Tibbs is the best coach they've had since Van Gundy. He's the anti-Fizdale, and that's so awesome to say even years later that he's the anti-Fizdale. Good God. And this isn't a guy who's going to be smiling up or down 40 points entering the fourth quarter against the Bucks. We all remember that. This is a guy who's going to be pissed off, yelling, Jesus effing Christ, and precious that you was here when you're up, you know, double figures in, in the, at the end of the third quarter. <laughs> this is a Tom Thibodeau team. Therefore, they will win. Um, you know, if you make, if you come into this, this building. If you come into Madison Square Garden, which wasn't always the case, but you make the mistake of not matching this team's energy, they will have you beat. This Knicks team is such an annoying team to play. Nobody wants to play them. They will piss you off. I mean, shit. The last two nights, Steve Clifford gets ejected <laughs> the first game of the set, and then Will Hardy in the second game of the back-to-back gets ejected last night. This team's just full of bullies who won't stop. And that's why they are where they are at this moment. Now, we just wax poetic. That's not to say everything is wonderful and they've accomplished the ultimate goal. No. Will there be moments where the Knicks struggle again? No shit. Sure. Of course. Without their second best player for a while, yes. In fact, I'm, I'm expecting, I'm not expecting wonderful things tomorrow night, especially if OG Ananobi and Quentin Grimes are no goes. And the playoffs are a totally different animal, right? Um, you can win 55 games, you can win 60 games. Shit, Golden State showed us you can win 72 games, but it won't matter. And this head coach, if there's one thing you could truly criticize him for, it's that he's never done the damn thing as a head coach in the postseason. He had as an assistant with Boston back in the day. But I, I get that. This team has a lot of work to do. And, and I, I think the Knicks should still absolutely be active in the trade market and look for, again, a combo guard to take pressure off Brunson and run the second unit. And another front court player to take the workload off of all these guys. I heart Randall, OG, Mitch. They're all either hurt or banged up. Every one of them. And then you got Taj, who's 107 years old. So I totally 1,000% understand all of this because the playoffs are a different animal. Defenses tighten up. The rotation shrinks. Guys have more of a responsibility. Less room for error. And you're going to need every single bit of every single player that you play. I get that. But I do think it's okay to enjoy. And it's very important to remember that this huge padding that the Knicks have now built up is important for that very reason, for when the Knicks do struggle. So if we slip up a little bit during this next month plus, whenever it is that Randall's out, and I expect to slip a little bit, 
we can now afford a little bit of it because we're the number three seed. Having the three seed, having a home court is huge. Because if it does end up being just a month and he gets back in March, well, now that seven and seven that I asked the Knicks to play from now until March, two and oh, now they only have to go five and seven. So we're, we're slipping by, man. Anything to help us get a favorable matchup in a postseason round, I am all for. So keep on winning these regular season games because there is value there. Also, by the way, for those asking, the Knicks, I know this has been this was a big topic before the Denver win. The Knicks, since the trade happened, are five and two versus competition five hundred or better. So during the OG trade, they've now beaten the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Philly Sixers, the Denver Nuggets, the Miami Heat, and the Utah Jazz. And if Randall gets back in March. You got more tests coming up for the Knicks. You got Philly twice more in the month of March. You got Boston again in April. You actually play Boston and Philly right after the All-Star break before we even get to March. But as for as for this month, the Knicks finish January 14-2. and two. And remember, back, way back at the beginning of the month, I, I my goal... My personal goal for this Knicks team, I said I wanted them to do an 11-5 January. Beat that by three. So, as, as I said, my next goal for them is to go 500 without Julius for however long that'll be. Off to a 2-0 start. Hopefully, we can get OG back. But this team, as I said, just keeps on answering the bell. We're finally going to we're, we're get into the game. We'll get into that right now. Head to break real quick, and we'll we'll, we'll jump into Knicks Jazz. Episode 5, no, episode 620 of BD4. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Let's head to our first break. Bing bang. That's not our first break. Let's head to our first break. We appreciate you sticking around and listening so far. When you have a chance, be sure to open YouTube to subscribe, like, and comment. And if you're already watching on YouTube, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate your feedback and are always looking to improve. Now, with that all said, let's get you back to the show. <clears throat> all right. Welcome back to the show. Episode 620 of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. I appreciate you listening to the show. Maybe you're watching BD4. So if you are, be sure to share these episodes on social media. If you want to follow me on social media, you can also do that. You know where to go for that. That's all in the description. And if you're watching the video format of the podcast, you're listening to it. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. Um, but let's dive into this game, man. Let's let's get right into the game because the Knicks did beat the Jazz last night, one eighteen to one hundred three. Um, a little bit lethargic out out of the gate on both ends, uh, but others eventually stepped up as soon as uh, Colin Sexton kind of poked the bear. Um, idiotic move there, 
getting in Brunson's face. I don't know what he was thinking. Breen had a good time with that. Uh, but he does that, and the Nova crew wakes up. Dante, in particular, at the moment, was the first to get red hot. The defense wakes up, and the Knicks enter the second quarter up seven points. The second unit struggled a bit at the top of the second, but the starters checked in. Dante, Josh Hart, massive, massive contributions. Pressures had some big moments in the second quarter, and the Knicks go into the half up eight points. Third quarter, the game kind of ends in the third. You know, after a few sluggish couple of minutes, the Knicks start getting hot. They start getting out in transition. Brunson's uh, hot. Dante DiVincenzo stayed strong. The Knicks go up 20 points, enter in the fourth. It was mostly garbage time. At the end there, you got the We Want Taj chance. Knicks fans love Taj. Taj is back, by the way. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Um, You know, Tibbs leaves his starters in, and, and I... <laughs> that's... It's funny to me because, like, I expect it. I've, I've been expecting it since he was the head coach because that's what he's notorious for. Um, people, it's funny just because people still find out, like, people are still arguing about it on Twitter after every single game. I'm like, Wait, do you not expect this shit? <laughs> there just comes a point where you get desensitized. Um, he leaves the starters in and Brunson's out there, you know, with, with just a couple minutes left chasing, chasing. You could, you could tell Brunson wanted that 30 piece. He kind of lost efficiency at the end because he was because he was chasing shots, trying to get the thirty, because um, he had like a span of I think it was seven out of eight. Uh, but the Knicks win one eighteen one hundred three over the Utah Jazz at the Garden last night. Behind great defense once again, uh, since the trade, the Knicks have the number one defense in the NBA, the best defensive rating. Um, they've allowed one hundred ten points or more just one time. In the 16 games, and they've allowed 100 points or less nine times in those 16 games. So, pretty damn good. So, on the season, their defense went from being the 20th ranked defense before the OG trade, and it's jumped all the way up to the number five defense in the league in just those 16 games. Utah was held to 103 last night, and like I said, this Knicks team is just such an annoying team to have to play. They're a bunch of pests who get in your face, you know, just the many little things they do. Stunting, hedging, doubling. They're quick in rotation. They're quick to recover. The, the Knicks' defensive floor has been raised significantly since the OG Ananobi tr uh, trade. And what that does is it allows more room for error offensively without Julius because their defense has been so efficient. And I just, I love the versatility and I think that's what I liked most last night, Tibbs. Even without OG out there, the Knicks were switching. Those lineups with Deuce, Grimes, Dante, Hart, and Precious were in switch often. Even though it led to a few mismatches, you know, like the Knicks, the confidence in their ability to hold it down paid off. They knew there were going to be mismatches. There were there was a pick and roll where the Knicks switched it, and it led to Deuce having to stop Kelly Olynyk in the low post, which he did. There was another possession where the Knicks switched the action, and Brunson was on John Collins, 
Uh, but he helps he helps force a turnover. I think he got a little help from Precious. So you had Quentin Grimes playing some great defense on Colin Sexton. Deuce McBride covering assignments and help. Josh Hart with a 10-10-10 triple-double. Did an excellent job once again of pushing the tempo, getting the team out in transition. Contested rebounds, flying from out of nowhere. He got some big stops on Colin Sexton. Precious to Chua. And again, his ability to switch fours and fives continues to pay off. He's defended very well at the point of attack lately. Last night I thought he did a nice job there. Doing do, Just doing a much better job playing drop coverage too. Yes, he's he's a bit small to protect the basket. He's undersized at the at the five, and his style probably doesn't mesh with the modern day four. So he's a bit conflicting, but he's for now doing a much better job. He's doing a nice job in these backup four minutes um, while OG sits. And at the end of the day, I thought size was going to be a problem last night. Size was not an issue despite the injuries. Utah's a large team. They have two big men. Didn't matter. Didn't matter that Olenek and Market and were in the front court. The Knicks didn't have Randall. They didn't have OG's length to switch. Didn't matter. Didn't matter because Tom Thibodeau showed a willingness last night to use his defender's best strengths. Even Jericho Sims looked great last night defensively. In help, you know, stunts up top, hedges. Quick hands, quick feet to recover or stay with the guard off a switch. And drop, he's playing too. If we're talking big men, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaiah Hartenstein also playing two in drop coverage. Did a nice job of that. Deflected a ball early on the roll, which led to a Nick fast break. And as we got to the second half more, the defense really started to pick it up. Most of the defensive issues in the game came in the first half, early third quarter. I thought there were a little too many offensive rebounds being allowed in the second quarter. Kessler, Sexton, and Collins were all over the glass. Thought the Knicks left a lot of three-point assignments open. Part of that scheme. Um, And then early in the third quarter, you could tell Utah was... I think it was the third quarter, targeting Brunson on a few possessions. But second half comes, and for the vast majority of the second half, it picked up. The Knicks were rebounding. The transition play saw a big uptick, forcing turnovers on the perimeter, getting out on the break. They had Colin Sexton commit a couple of terrible, stupid turnovers in the third quarter. And I was so happy to see him fold. God, I hate him. Um... And the defense led to some great offense, too, of course. And the offense continues to hold it down. Right? And, you know, we, we mentioned the turnovers kind of being an issue the last couple of weeks. They're starting to come down again. People were worried. I had a feeling it wouldn't last because they've been moving the ball a lot more. So that's, you know, with volume of, with an increased volume in passing is going to come an increased turnover rate. But the Knicks had 29 assists last night, still just five turnovers. That was a beautiful number to see when I looked up the box score. I just thought they were very patient, disciplined, and, and aware, you know. Helped them get to 118 points last night. Got hot. 
later in the game. Early in the game, you could tell Utah was really doing a nice job locking the Knicks up in the half court. They were mixing up coverages. They played some zone. Usually when the Knicks get zoned, their offense kind of slows down. Um, But when they're beating a zone, they're doing it with movement. You know, uh, Tibbs will clear the floor a little bit. He'll throw his fours in the corners, but he'll use iHeart to cut and move. And that's exactly what we got early on. The first score of the game for the Knicks, iHeart's down in the restricted area. Josh Hart drives baseline. So iHeart clears out to the short corner. Hart finds him. And then iHeart posts it and hooks it in. Second score of the game, iHeart cuts out of his screen and roll with Dante. Dante kicks to Josh Hart on the weak side, who attacks the closeout. It was Laurie Marketing. And then he finds iHeart, who's now in an open paint with Marketing cleared. iHeart draws contact for two free throws. You watched iHeart's off ball movement last night. It was excellent. Uh, so they're running some zone, a little bit of man to man, and then they ran a hybrid, which is a junk defense where they ran a little bit of box and one. That's when you emphasize stopping the best weapon on the other end and you let the other four guys beat you. So in this case, it was obviously to stop Brunson. And I thought it worked. Like I credit to Utah because a lot of times in the first half, they did a really good job of forcing the ball out of his hands and just limiting his aggressiveness. He only had six shots at the end of the first half. They ran press on him. But at the end of the day, for, for a guy who had a quiet night and for a guy the defense was so focused on stopping, Brunson still finished with 29 points, 9 assists. <laughs> like, and I think part of that 9 assists was because he and the Knicks did a really, really excellent job of countering traps and help last night in pick and roll. There was a reason the Knicks had a 66% assist rate. Because whenever Utah blitzed, Brunson did a very nice job finding the outlet, whether he hit iHeart in the short roll or hitting one of the two high horns outlets. Precious, you know, I thought he did a nice job making his reads and getting rid of it in time. And the Nick Biggs just, we talked about their defense. Credit to them. They're screening up top. They, they were screening the shit out of the Jazz. You know, and again, give Thibodeau a big and he will make him effective. Precious, Jericho, doing a really... Really nice job of screening, rolling, DHO. iHeart running DHO with Brunson in the backcourt when Utah pressed. That was smart. You had Brunson find Precious a few times off cuts and dump-offs. Grimes running a little pick-and-roll. How about the stack pick-and-roll? Quentin Grimes runs stack with Jericho and Dante late in the first quarter. Jericho sets the brush screen up top, so he cuts. Dante slips the back screen. Grimes swings to Dante, who knocks down the three. That was a nice little wrinkle. And, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit of a different dynamic from Precious and Sims lately. Jericho's showing you can put the ball on the floor. He had that move last night where he attacked, he attacked off the dribble. Um, you got Precious taking more mid-range, shooting a lot of threes lately in the corner. <laughs> I don't know if I like that, but... iHeart obviously continuing to score in the low post uh, and, of course, keeps hitting cutters from up top. That's what he does best. So, yeah, like all in all, listen, even even since the trade where the Knicks lost two playmakers, the offense has kept up the same rate of scoring. I, I still want a trade. I absolutely do. Because, you know, there are still times when the offense goes dry. <laughs> there are still times when the offense goes dry. Um, like early in the second quarter last night, the, 
the bench comes in. It was stagnant, a lot of over dribbling to begin. It's just, it's also just not sustainable, especially now that you're without Randall and and Anobi. To put all this pressure on Brunson's not fair, and you don't want him to get worn out, hurt. But as of now, it's gotten the job done. So to drop 118 points without Julius's 25, without OG's 15, not bad. And one of the guys in particular who's been helping this offense stay alive, Dante DiVincenzo, who is who just clearly taken on more of a responsibility now without these guys on the floor. And so we're going to hand Dante the game ball from the starting unit. Bing bang. So Dante DiVincenzo last night scored 33 points for the Knicks. And remember, like, during that in-between game against Indiana, right, the first time they played them, when the Knicks didn't have anybody because of the trade, Dante was the one to step up and drop a career high. So you look at the last two nights now, without OG, without Randall, he's... Again, been the most aggressive Nick. Taking the most shots. Not hesitating a single bit when he gets the ball. Catch and shoot. Attacking closeouts. Attacking Laurie Markin in drop coverage. He steps up, man. That's what role players are supposed to do. So, you take the Indiana game. You take these last two games. And you look at him. All three of those games, he's had season highs in points and field goals attempted. He's stepping up. He had 33, 5, and 4 last night with four steals, a blocked shot, shot 11 to 22, 9 to 15 from three, a career high nine threes. He was a plus 23 in the box, and that was across 39 minutes. I can't express enough how great the value is on this contract. He Again, he's a mid-level exception player. And he goes from the bench to the starting lineup, not even a third of the way through the season, right? He's just a true winner. I mean, the guy has won at every level he's been at. He won with Nova. He he won with the Bucks. He has experience with Steve Kerr and the Warriors. And his style of play is, it's like no shit, you know? No shit he wins because he shoots, passes, rebounds, the defense. Flying around, blocking shots, rotating, jumping the pass lanes. The way he's shooting these threes now, from long range, like those two threes he hit at the end of the third quarter, especially the last one, good God. He has such a a quick release on the shot. He's a one-motion shooter, so there's no wasted movement there at all. Unlike when you see RJ shoot, he's got a hitch. There's no wasted movement in Dante's shot. The kid's been unbelievable. You can make a case that this is the best backcourt the Knicks have had since a long time. <laughs> to go to the 70s with Clyde? It's just with, with him and Brunson, like it's it makes losing quickly a lot less painful. And that's ironic because everybody was hating on this Dante deal initially because they thought they lose quickly. Well, they did, but they didn't really lose a lot with how Dante's been playing. Is is That's the truth. And of course, the best part of Dante DiVincenzo, he's a fellow Italian-American. 
And I'm always going to root for that guy first. So Dante DiVincenzo gets another game ball. He now has eight game balls on the season for the Knicks. Dante DiVincenzo. Among the bench unit, we're going to hand it out to Quentin Grimes. He'll get the game ball from the bench. Bing bang. Yeah, 12 points for Grimes, six rebounds, two assists. Kind of mentioned him already when we were talking about the defense and the offense. But yeah, he's been playing well, man. The defense has also seen an uptick along with a better offense recently. Right, I remember earlier in the season when he was guarding more traditional wings, bigger wing players he had issue with. He had issues with. But he's been doing a nice job since he's been back down with the second unit, guarding bench players and guarding the point of attack against point guards and two guards. Doing a much better job there. Um, so shout out to Quentin Grimes. We'll see how long his future is with the Knicks, but you know, I, I understand like I, you want to keep the defensive chemistry and if you lose him for a guy who's offensive minded, even a guy like Brogdon, it's, I get, I get the concern of losing Grimes. I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know I have too much that I have too much else to add. So we'll head to our break, get back, and we'll talk about a few more things. Stay with us. Be right back here on the show. You can also find us on social media. If you'd like, you can follow BD4 on Facebook, and we're at BD4Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate you helping us grow more and more every day. Let's get back to it. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. You are listening to episode 620 of BD4. I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're on YouTube or Spotify, I appreciate that. If you are listening on on Apple Podcasts, then be sure to give us a five-star rating and review if you'd like. If you do enjoy the show. We're on social media. You can find us there. That's in the description. And, um, yeah, if you're watching the video, obviously, on the screen, there's my social media right there on Instagram, X, Facebook, and you can go to my blog, my website, on the screen there as well. So, let's let's wrap this thing up, man. Um, we do have some injuries, like some injury news we should probably talk about. Uh, OG Ananobi is day-to-day. He's still questionable at this moment. I'm not going to blame Tom Thibodeau 100% because there's no evidence to support that workload is the reason for injury. It could be a reason you burn out at the end of the year. I get that part. But like the only thing with like the longer you're out there, the higher chance you are of getting injured, but that's like, yeah, no shit. Like Tibbs wants to win. He plays to win, which everybody should. And you're banged up and you lost a bunch of big players. So he's going to play his best. 
Um, do you, would you, are, you, are you not enjoying this eight-game streak? 14 out of 16? Like, I, I am concerned, though, with OG because he dealt with this elbow injury in Toronto, the inflammation, and it keeps lingering. And I expected him to be back for tomorrow, but like it scares me because I thought this was just going to be a precautionary since it was a back-to-back against two beatable teams. And then it would be like certain that he'd play after that. But it's not looking good. And, and if he isn't in there tomorrow against an Eastern Conference team in the thick of a playoff hunt, I don't know, man. And then you have Grimes' knee to worry about. Uh, like, they, they, Fuck. Iheart played last night, continues to play. He's back, but he's played more minutes than usual than, than the first two games, but he's still on a minutes restriction. He made that known when he told Fred Katz. Um, it's probably a front office directive that Tibbs is actually honoring. Uh, they probably spoke with Tibbs. Listen, we got a, we got a CAA client here who's due for a payday this summer. Let's fucking take it easy. Um, but, like, no, I'm also concerned a little bit there because anytime you hear the word Achilles – Come on, you, you get you get nervous. I don't care who you are, um, and you know, with the front court being as banged up as it is, you got news yesterday that the Knicks are bringing back a familiar face. Taj Gibson's back on a ten day contract. <laughs> he he will be taking his old roster spot that he had uh, earlier in the season uh, when the Knicks they waived him so they didn't have to pay the full vet minimum against their cap. Um, but when this one expires, um, the Knicks, I believe, can offer at least one more 10-day, maybe two. Uh, but the 10th day of this one will be February 9th. So that's post-trade deadline. So it's easy to drop to clear a spot for a traded player. Um, but yeah, Taj is here. And, you know, you, you question, is he is he depth or is he just is he more than just depth with the front court in shambles? Right with the Randall shoulder injury for at least a month, with the I heart Achilles concern, right with the minutes restriction on him, with OG's elbow day to day issues, and Mitchell Robinson still out a while. Like, is Taj Gibson is Tibbs planning to play him? I, I wouldn't love that. Um, like Jacob Toppin, listen, I I prefer to get to give this kid a chance to. I would love to see what Jacob Toppin has. I'm always for youth over the old man. At the same time, like there are Knicks fans who are angry at Tom Thibodeau and want the guy fucking fired, it seems like, because he's not giving Jacob Toppin a chance. Knicks fans and they're under like this is this is an undrafted G Leaguer. He hasn't played a single meaningful minute of NBA ball. Yet fans are in a fucking frenzy about him. Why? Two reasons. Because Knicks fans are infatuated with any type of young player. Secondly, his last name is Toppin. So, like, I mean, you're talking to the same fan base who wanted Tibbs gone after not playing and, and trading Cam and Obi. I, I just... Which, they were both front office mistakes, by the way. And the Obi thing's weird. It's like, why are we obsessed with him? He sucked. He still sucks. He's lost his starting role, and he's, from what I hear, on the trade block again. Anyways, they 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 better hope that whatever they do with the deadline works because they need some depth there. And 
speaking of like the deadline, I kind of want to go not too off topic, but I've been hearing a name pop up a lot recently. And is it, this has been something that Knicks fans have been intrigued with for a long time um, for obvious reasons. But Mikal Bridges of the New Jersey Nets um, clearly wants out. Like you heard the interview when the Knicks played the Nets, the guy does not want to be there. Um, Listen, like Mikal Bridges, the perfect long three and D wing for this basketball team who'd fit like a glove next to Ananobi under Tibbs. And obviously he gets the band back together and, and completes the whatever you want to call it, right? The, the Nova Knicks. He, he's back with Brunson and the guys who we won a national championship with in 2016 and 2018. Um, the Nova Knicks Mafia. All that stuff, great. He he would really be a good addition to this team. For the expected price, first of all, like four picks, a couple unprotected, probably Grimes, and then Fournier's salary. ESPN, actually, the ESPN projected trade was five firsts, two unprotected, then Grimes, and then Fournier's salary. I don't think I'm doing that. I know Knicks fans, a lot of them say yes. I don't think I'm doing that. I'm going to continue to say, and maybe people are getting tired of hearing this, but I think it's the truth. In modern NBA, you need firepower. And he's a great player. He's a star. Maybe. But I don't, he's not a... He's, I, I, you, need fi, you need two elite top 15 players to win in today's game. That's the name of the game today. No teams winning without two top 15 guys. Unless you got the number one guy in the in the game. You know, named Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know that that's going to be... I want a man. But for five firsts, then you're, then you're you know, that that's what you saved up for just to go to Macal Bridges. And I think he's great. I think he's wonderful. He's great. He is great. But I don't know if I want to pay. I would rather save those for legitimate superstar. Because superstars win in this era. I don't care how much that offends you. I don't care how much you want to keep this team intact. You need another superstar. I think Brunson's a superstar. I think Randall's the tier below that. He's obviously got the ceiling that he's got. And, you know, I don't think it's realistic at the end of the day. The Knicks and Nets haven't completed a deal together since 1983. They haven't even held conversations. Mikael Bridges is also on the books until 2026, so it's not like the Nets are in a rush to move him. They just declined Houston, who offered to give the Nets the war chest full of draft picks that the Nets gave Houston to begin with from the Harden deal. They said no to that. So why would they do business with the Knicks? I also think since Brooklyn is delusional, they're trying to contend anyway. They currently have the 11th seed right behind Atlanta. They're right there. So I feel like they're going to try to go for it. Um, but yeah, the, the Macau Bridges thing, I, I don't. I would love it. I just, for the price, I also don't think it's realistic. But up next for the Knicks, Indiana. They have the Pacers. At the Garden, 
I don't think people understand how badly I want to beat this team. I have a strong dislike for the Indiana Pacers, as all of Knicks fans do. Obviously, it's the history, it's the rivalry, but like, I also just fucking hate Tyrese Halliburton. I think he's got the most punchable face and attitude. I want, I want somebody to flagrant to his ass. Like, <laughs> I hate the hype on the Pacers. You know, I feel like they're getting more than the Knicks, which is odd. Um, I don't like. I don't think what they're doing is sustainable. I like they, they run early offense. They get into sets quick. Spain pick and roll, a lot of that. Play a high-tempo game, half-court, full-court. They play fast. They also play zero defense. I want the Knicks, once and for all, to go out there tomorrow night, end that garbage, stop the hype, and show their defensive eliteness. And that's obviously a big part of that is got to hope that Grimes and OG and OB play. That's going to be a, a, such a good test for their defense. If they're at you know, relative full strength tomorrow night, you think you're an elite defense? Show it. That's a good test. Hallie Burton's also TBD. So he's questionable for tomorrow as well. He just got back and he left the game. I think he left the game early the other night. So that's it. The Knicks... Route the Jazz, they finish the month 14-2. and two. That's awesome. So we'll see where this continues to go. If it goes in a positive direction, then yeah, I mean, I'm just going to keep getting more and more confident in this team. So with that said, let's wrap this up with our trivia when we return from our final break here on the show. Stay with us. Be right back. If you have time in the day or maybe just prefer old-fashioned reading over listening, then you can always follow along and subscribe to BD4Blog by going to bd4blog.com. We're not on there as often, but when we do post, it's just as entertaining, opinionated, and passionate as we are on this podcast. Thank you so much. And let's keep on with the show. Studio 69 Productions is a podcast production agency created by Leo Rodriguez to allow content creators to market their podcast. It's an online platform that will market your podcast or any other project that you're working on. Get in touch with Leo Rodriguez from Studio 69 Productions. You can find Studio 69 Productions on Instagram at Studio69NJ. Studio 69 Productions, where dreams are heard and born. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to episode 620 of BD4. Welcome back. Welcome back. Appreciate you all tuning in. If you are new here, be sure if you're watching the video format on YouTube to hit the bell, subscribe, and like. Help us out on the channel with the algorithm with the algorithm and everything. So I'd appreciate it if you want to comment down below, get into arguments with random strangers on the internet. Break your keyboard because you're so mad. Start screaming out loud as you type. I know how you people can be. Then comment down below. That'd be great. Give us some feedback. What do I suck at? What am I adequate at? But I do appreciate you all stopping by. And let's wrap this up now with our trivia question of the day.
All right. So for episode 620 of the podcast, when was the last time the Knicks took both games against the Utah Jazz in a season series? All right. When was the last time the Knicks took both games against the Utah Jazz in a season series? So let me know the answer wherever you can reach me. If you get the answer correct, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. As for this show, I believe that's it, folks. Thank you so much for stopping by. Episode 620 is in the books of BD4. Once again, I'm your host, RJ. Thanks for stopping by. And um, I will see you in 621 when we are talking hopefully about a Knicks win against the Pacers at MSG. That's it for this one, though. Thanks, guys. Later. This episode was brought to you by Anchor. Hey there. If you stayed the entire way through, we thank you immensely for it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you come back for the next episode real soon. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, download these episodes, and share them with your friends as well. BD4 is a five-star podcast simply because of you. And we'd like to keep it that way. Have a wonderful day. Go Yankees and go Knicks.